0: Hello, this is Siri, and you're listening to my favorite podcast, Not Real Art. I live for this shit because it's totally lit. Greetings, artists and art lovers. Welcome to Not Real Art, the podcast that celebrates artists defining creative culture around the world. I'm your host, Sourdough, and on today's episode, I'm honored to be joined by a true multidisciplinary artist whose career spans four decades. In 1971, his work was commissioned by Ray Charles for the album Message from the People. At one point in his career, he was even an award-winning producer at Motown Records. I could go on, but before I do, I want to welcome to the show the incredibly gifted artist, Cleophas. Well, hello. Good morning, sir. I'm doing great. Excellent, excellent. You seem very happy.
1: (laughs) Yes, I am. You walked in Um, smiling. Well, I'm happy with the opportunity to discuss what I do. That's right. What do you do, sir? Well, I do uh, multifaceted artworks spanning uh, all the medias. Basically, though, I'm sort of a photorealist, but I do abstracts, I do everything, and I do commissions. I've worked for a company for years where all I did every day was just come in, have my coffee, and think of something new to do to sell to the public, which was mainly through the home furnishing industry. Oh, interesting. Well, you know, you go into a store, you yeah. see a painting behind a couch. That's you. That was That's, you. Yes, that was wow. me. For years, I did that. What was we, the name of the company? Uh, Art Master Studio. And uh, If you go to my website, you'll see like the Art Master Collection. I've, I've sold thousands of pictures all over the world and there might be anything, you know, like uh, landscapes, seascapes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm more, I'm mostly interested in my wildlife art, which uh, I became real professional at. We became very big at the time, uh, well, up until 1993, which I left the company to venture into the fine art world. Mm-hmm. And whoa, that was hard.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what was the struggle? What was well coming yeah. from commercial, yeah,
1: to the fine art world, which is, mostly, which is mostly deal with the academia. Yeah, you right, know? right. So how they get funded, how you get your stuff. It always amazed me. I would look at these artists that have these big studios and these big warehouses, and I'm sitting up here saying, gee, how in the world do they afford that? Yeah. Whereas I'm paying for storage with two units, and it's killing me. Right. Where do they put their art until they sell it? Yeah. Make these sculptures and so it's great to make it, you have to hold it somewhere to sell it. Yes, and that must cost a fortune. So it's been a struggle, but I'm really progressing with the the new art that I'm creating. How many pieces in your inventory right now? You think? Uh, maybe um two or three hundred. Wow. But that includes, you know, original pieces. Sure. Uh, also there's framed, uh, uh limited edition prints, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. things like that. That mm-hmm. I go do. I'd go do these occasional rotary shows. Mm-hmm. or outdoor air markets yes yes and so you so you have to have a multitude of variety of stuff to sell right. and so a lot of it's that but what i'm really excited about is the three-dimensional works that i'm working on now and i
0: saw a few of them on your website they're, yes, they're quite
1: stunning there's only a few on there and the reason for that is just that uh for a long time i was harboring them as trade secrets mm. And uh, so, but as I get on in age, I'm worried that I can't share any of this with the rest of the world. And so it, uh, hopefully it won't die with me. So I'm anxious in getting it out there so they can see it. I must have right now at least uh, 12 to 18 pieces that are in different stages of completion. And they're, to me, phenomenal pieces. Of course, every artist would say that.
0: But it's, it's, you, would, you would regard it as some of your best work oh, to yes. date. Oh, yeah. yes. Yes. So how did you find yourself starting to
1: create three-dimensional work? Oh, wow. What was that journey I, like? I don't need, you know, I think when I was working for Artmaster Studio, we came up with these three-dimensional uh, canvases that we were making. Mm-hmm. You know, of course, you know, uh, since you're using copy artists and, and you're, we're manufacturers, we're just trying to make something that's cost-effective. Yes, And so we made these products, but in the research for making those products, I just went off into a thing. So, it's, uh, so I started looking at architecture and stuff, and I started looking at the cast of shadows, which, you know, half of what we see is light and shadow. Yeah. And I just said, well, gee, I just want to make this stuff, and I called it shadow art. And I just started making pieces, and, uh, and uh, of course, the originals were maybe sometimes they were geometric designs or optical art illusions yes. that you might have seen in the 60s. Yeah. But I would make all these things, and... Uh, and they were mostly monochromatic or just white.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So obviously, when you the light's in the right place and you just look straight at them, well, gee, you see nothing. Right, it might look two-dimensional. <laughs> <laughs> yes, right. yeah. and as you move, I got caught up in this 4th dimensional thing like, gee, the person that's watching, he's the animator. Yeah. Oh, he's wow. moving, the shadow's moving, time is moving, mm. the shadow. Mm. And you're doing these crazy things. So those were the first pieces, and then I added images to those pieces, where well, the in- images made a complexion of things, sort of like the artist Chuck Close mm. work does,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, except that you would have this dimensional thing happening. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is, uh, you create something like a living art.
0: Yes. Yeah. You know
1: how you walk into a, uh, as an artist, I used to go to my galleries and, you know, and see the. Exhibitions, sure. And you know, you see the person walking by; he hardly ever breaks stride. He just walks and he looks, and he walks. And I said, "Gee, what if you could make them stop?" Mm-hmm. Yes. Then what if you could make them make a retake? Right. And right. So that's what this sort of did. So I started creating these pockets of interest, mm. which is similar to what Chuck Close does, mm-hmm. except that I was doing it dimensionally. Yeah. And a lot of these pieces might be as little as a. Just a high relief, Mm -hmm. but some of them might come off of the canvas or the surface as much as two to three inches, or up to 10 inches even. Sure. Wow. And in these things, I'd have all these words Mm -hmm. and silhouettes and things cut out. So where you're looking at them and the shadow is creating another image, and the image is saying one thing, and then you're walking up and you're seeing these things. And then I ended up doing stuff like a legacy, what I call a legacy portrait. Okay. I started with uh, uh, maybe uh, Martin Luther King or something where I'd have embedded in the sculpture the I Have a Dream speech.
0: Yes. That you could actually read it and stuff. Yeah, I saw that on your website as well. Yeah. There was something,
1: one of the pieces like that. And then I migrated into Tupac and Biggie, which I did uh, recently. Yeah. And I wanted to create their whole history, discography, everything in there so that you could read it, sort of like a newsprint. Yep. And you just go up close, and you start reading one thing. And I, and I watched people, and I observed them watching these pieces. And I saw that they were getting a big interest out of those little pockets of interest, right. which led me to doing more of those things. And that's where my new work is.
0: Well, the layers and the depth that comes with that. I mean, you know, I think any person who truly appreciates intelligent artwork would have to be engaged by those
1: pieces. Well, thank you. But, you know,
0: <laughs> that's easy for well, me. I, say so. I really like them.
1: Well, yeah. I hope so. I, well, that's been my thing. You know, I was one time doing a, a sketch. You know, I work a lot in graphite because it's easier. Yeah. But it's a hard media because, you know, you, the difference between that and, let's like, say, like, say, for example, charcoal is that when you're doing charcoal, you can go top over and you put your whites on top or your lighter tones, but Mm -hmm. with pencil, sort of like watercolor, you have to leave it. So it's a negative. You're working negative. So every time you see a little white hair, it means that the artist went around that. Yeah, right. Right.
2: (laughs) Incredible. To leave it. Yeah.
1: And so I was working at Panera's, and I was doing this portrait, and I had a friend of mine take pictures of me doing the portrait. I wanted to to have some documentation, and uh, he got all excited about taking pictures of the crowd that was forming, watching me do this. And then looking back on all those photographs that he shot, I noticed that the people were in awe and everything, not so much of the piece that I was doing, but the fact that I was doing it with an insignificant pencil. Did everybody use it?
3: Yeah, right. Right. You well, know? in the hand of a master.
0: <laughs> right. I mean, a pencil is a pencil, but... Put in the hand of a master, suddenly it becomes a a magical wand.
1: Sort of like your finger, you know, like uh, you can paint with your finger, your foot, anything, you know. Yes,
0: finger painting is my specialty, (laughs) I think, but that's because my son loves to do that in the bath. That's a whole other podcast. Yeah, I
1: did that too. Yeah, yeah. I think all of us did that. (laughs) That's right. When we're youth, we express ourselves uh, Mm. more fully. We get in tune with our feelings and we put them down. So who are some of your inspirations coming up? Uh, The shadow art, I like uh, Louise Nevelson. You know, she has uh, these found pieces Mm -hmm. that she puts together, and they're usually all white. Mm -hmm. And they're just structures that she pulls together and she makes into conglomeration of a sculpture. But I think probably I was more intrigued by people like uh, Norman Rockwell. Mm. I mean the stories that they would tell. Yeah, right. You know? And uh, as a kid growing up, uh, I was a problem student because I was dyslexic and didn't know what it was, and nobody knew what it was at the time, it seemed. And so they would put you into these remedial reading classes and stuff like that. Yeah. And I became the joke of the class, you know, so drawing crazy cartoons of my teachers and everything. But reading in the books, I noticed like Andrew Wyatt and all these people would tell such good, Great stories, not just depicting what the author had written in a novel, but as an extension to that yes and that's what I really wanted to do mm. and so i just when I went to art school i was i just uh wanted to do that, of course, when I got to art school, it was more in a traditional a transitional stage, i should say, mm. where going from the photographic or or real illustrations to a more materials and method sure and which i hated at the time but as it went on i found out that gee this became the cornerstone of my career as a designer Mm. of this commercial art that i did Mm -hmm. called uh, production art
0: well i mean your educational cv is incredibly impressive i mean you got a scholarship at uh to chenard yeah, that was all a right.
1: remark. But you know, there's a limited scholarship.
0: <laughs> well, right.
3: <laughs> but you got it. Yeah. <laughs>
0: That's all that matters. And then from there on to, I think, uh, Otis. Yes. Right?
1: Well, and you the- know, actually, that was during the stay there. You know, at that time, you could go to school and you could transfer your credits from college to college. Yes. You can't do that. No, no, no. Today anymore. Yeah. So Otis was right around, you know, by MacArthur Park, was right on the other side of the park. Yep. So I could go over there and I could take a course in the evening over there and then come back over to Chenard in the day mm-hmm. and do that and then uh and, and otis art center was right there on third street yep. which is not that poor at the time too right so you could so it was all kind of grouped together
0: yeah and then from there what ucla extension and then art center yes as well
1: wow mm-hmm. and i didn't graduate wow. so i don't have any credentials so i probably would love to teach and i would love to teach in, tutor in the past on some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, since I didn't have the credentials, it makes it a little difficult at this point in time.
0: So what is your practice like now? I mean, in terms of like, when you take us through your day, when you wake up in the morning, do you find morning time to be uh, good for creative thinking? And then afternoon for production? I mean, how do you, how does your day, how do you structure no, your day? I'm a
1: full fledged designer. See, So first of all, uh, when I wake up in the morning, I like to start working on something. I might wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. and jot down a note or something or solve a work-related problem in my mind. Mm-hmm. Almost in that, like, twilight sleep that people yeah. call. Yep. I actually create everything. So when I'm actually in my studio, all I'm doing is copying what's in my head or trying to make notes to not forget. Yeah, right. You know, uh, my work day is probably about 12 hours. Okay. I mean, I'm constantly working. I used to, i love to go out at, to like a coffee shop with my laptop or something. yes, and do more digital type things and putting down my ideas where in the past we would make thumbnail sketches and stuff yeah, right, but when, in this digital age we we have this convenience, and I would do that. then I'd go and do the studio and then I'll work until maybe three and a half dinner. And I'll watch TV or something for a little while. Sure. Then I'll start working again, and I'll work till about 1230 or 1 o'clock at night. Yeah. Then I'm up again at 4 or 5 the next day. Wash, rinse, repeat. <laughs> yeah, seven days a week. I mean, I live and die hard. It's like the ideas keep coming. Yes. Isn't that I,
0: a blessing and a curse, though? It is.
1: But you know what? It's not as bad as being tied up and getting typecast where you creating the same thing over and over again? Yes. Looking for new resources. Right. And uh, I've had those things happen too, but not that often. I mean, even when I was in the music field, you know, you can get to the point to where every song starts sounding the same.
0: Okay, so you bring it up, I got to go there. Like Motown Records, my man.
1: Like this is incredible. Yeah, that award-winning was, producer, right? Yeah, that was sort of an accident that happened. I was at Art Master Studio. Beautiful accident. Yes, it was. But it got to the point to where I was in the studio till uh, six o'clock in the morning. Come home, take a shower, then go to my regular gig, which was paying for everything. Right, sure. You know, and so I had to at some point make a choice. And at the time, I wanted more independence uh, because it seemed like I would get the new artists that they were signing to the label, mm-hmm. and then I'd get them to a point to where they would actually become marketable, and then they'd give them over to Quincy Jones or something. <laughs> Ah, Q again.
2: <laughs> oh, by guy. the way,
1: he's a guy that I would love to do a legacy portrait. of. You know, it's like people, when you do these legacy portraits, it's about people that have a story to tell. Yes. And something to leave besides just an image. And since I have the, uh, the ability to do these photorealistic images, which, by the way, is an art form that's sort of dying. I like, feel like right. a dinosaur. That's right. Dinosaur. That I—it's a way of keeping them alive a little longer.
0: Well, I—I I would argue part of the reason it's dying is because kids don't, and kids in art school these days don't even most of these schools don't well, even they, teach them how to draw. Well, you're
1: right, uh, but you know there are these courses uh, that allow for professionals, even though they might be in the commercial art field, to extend their career. You know, and you go in, you with an artist like me that will teach or at least share with you some of his experiences. On certain professional levels, to give that to you, but it also seems like uh, the focus is just not on that anymore. It's more about the emotion of what you're trying to do, yeah. Rather than the skill it takes to get there. And then with technology, you know, in the digital age, it makes it very easy. If, for example, if you're a singer and you're a little off pitch, well, they got something to make you on pitch. No, that's right. That's if, right. If you need Twenty thousand tracks to play. You cannot be a musician actually proficient and pick away with one finger like you were typing, and and make a masterpiece. Yes, or with your phone, get a prize winning picture accidentally, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Because it's still going. <laughs> that's <you> right. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. It, so it makes it hard, but it's it's still there. You know. I figure that my my biggest role that I would like to partake. It's a sort of hold back the tide a little bit. You know, everybody focuses on pushing the envelope. Well, I'm a traditionalist, but I'm not. I'm sort of a tweener. I like to be able to uh, dabble in the digital world. Yes. But keep some of the old stuff.
0: Well, you truly have laid that foundation. I mean, you do have the skills and the tools in your toolbox you know, you mentioned the, the, the digital, uh, you mentioned the, the computer, your laptop, your digital tools and how much you enjoy them. And, and by the way, you've earned your chops. You can enjoy it because you deserve to enjoy it because you've laid that foundation. What I have remember years ago when I was doing a lot of hiring, uh, I think I mentioned prior to recording that I used to work, uh, in advertising as a graphic designer. And then eventually, you know, I would, uh, got into management, what have you. And I would hire artists or designers. And a lot of these young kids coming out of design school, they would be anxious to show me these beautiful finished works. And I said, well, where's your sketchbook? Well,
3: you want you want
1: to how see how did my you sk- get there? Yeah, yeah,
0: that's right. How did you think well, I want to see how you think? I want to see, you know, and the reality was that a lot of these kids jump right onto the computer. They don't take the sketchbook out and ponder their ideas and work their ideas through. To me, the computer always comes you know, at the right time, which is when you are ready to sit down and actually start producing that idea that you've thought through on the page. Right.
1: Well, but you know, I think it's, it's, it's a tool just like the pencil. I mean, I, I know right now with tablets, you can actually draw and you can do your yeah, thumbnails right. on the computer. Yes. But a, the big advantage of a computer and creating it's just like you're being in a studio making music. You know, you got all these tracks, and eventually it's got to all come down to, to two tracks, stereo. Now, out of all this stuff that you recorded, though, it's all great. You've got to make a choice of what to use. Yeah. But you can always go back, and that's what the digital age allows. Yes. Imagine I create a design. We'll just say it's geometric. Mm-hmm. And in order to get to the one that I finally use, I've obviously have several variations, right? Yes. Well, all those variations are recorded and adaptable. Now say that becomes successful. All right, that one. Now I want somebody, I want something similar to that. All I gotta do is go back and look at those other things and say, oh, I move this over there, move this over here a little Ooh, right, bit. Right, right. Move that over there. So one thing's become an endless yes.
0: supply. Yes. Of one creation. What I really appreciate about that point is that not, you know, nothing's more valuable than our time, right? And to your yes. point is like, wait a minute, that time wasn't wasted. I actually have. Exactly. Not that it was wasted anyway, but that because you have it saved, though, you can then go back and monetize it or use it if, exactly. if you, you were able to leverage that time. And you, not only you, you're dead and gone. Right. Somebody else can come and use yep, it. That's
3: right. That's it, right. It keeps living. Yes.
0: I've said it many times i think this is the best time ever to be an artist in many ways we have more mediums more tools more opportunities uh, maybe more appreciation but it's uh, the the flip side of that is is that you know to the point you were touching on earlier these tools have democratized creativity in so many ways that now you know there's a lot of you know quote unquote artists out there who maybe haven't earned their chops and laid that
1: foundation well, you know that's well, the that know-
0: artists like you have
1: that's true. You know, yep. life, life is a cycle. Yep. Everything's a cycle. Yep. I remember uh, before your time, because I'm older than you, not older than you, but, uh, I'm
0: 49, um,
1: so how old are you, Cliffus? Hey, I'm 75. 70, right? but
0: you, I look, uh, I look, I look, you, I look I that good I I'm
1: 75. Yeah, that's what everybody tells me, but you know what? <laughs> I look in the mirror and I see 75. <laughs> but the point I getting, but I don't feel 75. That's right. Because age is just, you know. It's mental, it's, it's so mental. That's right. Yeah. But I remember the time when we were more in a do-it-yourself world. Yeah, right. Uh, I could tell you something like the paint by number. kit. Yeah. Everybody was an artist and able to attach themselves to that. Well, we're sort of in that recycle phase right now. Yeah. To where you can be a plumber, you can be an artist, you can be a photographer, you can be whatever you want, just digitally plug in. Mm. You know, and there's a means to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the creative spirit is still there, even though you don't have the technical skills. Uh, but I've always lived by the theory that cream always comes to the top. That's right. You know, so those that even though you ha- everybody has a camera on their phone and they're becoming so sophisticated, it's unbelievable, it's driving the photographers out of business. Yes. But still they'll have to go back and correct those things. There's still a place cream always comes right, to the top.
0: Right. You, listening to you reminds me of a story. So there's a gentleman by the name of Gordon McKenzie. And Gordon was for many years, I don't know if he's still there, but for many years, he was the chief creative director for Hallmark Cards. Oh, yes. Okay? I love Hallmark Cards. Right, right. And so he wrote a book now oh, 10, 15 years ago called Orbiting the Giant Hairball. Okay. And the the purpose of this book, it's a great book, and it's about how, and you'll appreciate this, having worked in a corporate environment as an artist. But the the idea of the book is how do you maintain your artistic integrity when you are working inside a corporate behemoth or a publicly traded organization, what have you, like a Hallmark Cards? And he was sort of telling his story as an artist working there. And um, but but this one of the uh, anecdotes uh, that he talks about uh, in the book, as a speaker, he would go and talk to school kids, right? And he would talk to kindergartners, first graders, you know, different grades. And he always started his talks by asking the same question. And that question was, who here is an artist? Well, in kindergarten, every kid raises their hand. Yeah, exactly. You see where this is going, right? Oh, yeah. By the third grade, he said, like, maybe one little kid in the back, you know, raised their hand. Yeah, I'm an artist. And, you know, it's just such a tragic story, right? Because, you know, here we are born... Uh, with this give this belief and desire and ability to create and be creative and be, think of ourselves as artists, but somehow we the system we've designed in you know, education what have you seems to squash that in such a way that you know
1: you know. But you know that the artist is the rebel? You know that. Yes, that's right, and that's why most people oh, try to conform. Oh, interesting point. See, and so nobody wants to be the rebel, and few people this want about to wear conformity. that. Veil. Yes. And so by then removing it, well, it also removes uh independent thought. Right. That's your that's your rebel. You're saying, so what? Been done this way, why not do it another way? Yes. You know,
3: that's a
0: that's a really profound point you're making. The way of sort of you know, con, uh, making us conform to a preordained uh, set of rules.
1: Making us more
0: robotic.
2: Yeah.
1: More controlled, actually. Yeah, right. When You get right down to For it. For sure. For sure. I've spent most of my life, artistic life, as a means to an end. I mean, the things that I dream up in my head, I haven't even begun to even do. Right. I mean, I'm still the guy that when I was 21 and decided, all I want to do is some art. I don't want much. Mm. You know? Yeah. I've never done that art yet. I've been doing stuff to show my potential. (laughs) And other than that, I've been going to work to feed my family. (laughs) So I'm thinking back, gee, if I lived 200 years ago, Mm. what would I be doing? Mm -hmm. I mean, I can understand why Rembrandt did lithographs that he sold pretty much like I'm selling uh, a production art. Mm -hmm. I mean, he had artists come in and even Audubon to that fact did these great illustrations and have artists come in and watercolor Mm -hmm. because he didn't have a color printer, you know? Right. So we're doing the same thing. Ken Cade does something. The artist Ken Cade does something. The artist of lights. Yes, exactly. And so I profound that theory when I did production art. All I did was, by the way, production art is a loose term. Not many people know about it, and I certainly didn't know about it. I got out of art school. I went in Santa Monica, to get a job, and I was just happy to get any job doing anything that re- was related to art. Yes, for sure. And so I walked in and I saw all these hundreds of pictures in a row that all look identical. And one artist walking down doing dabs of this and dabs of that. And I'm saying, Damn, the guy says, Well, hey, can you do this? I'm, oh, yeah, of course, I can do this. I have a clue of what the hell's going on. Fake it till you make it. <laughs> And so I walked into this field and I just started doing this stuff, and uh, to make a long story short, I become very quick at doing art, which led me to designing. Yes. And so when I got to designing, I said, "Well gee, if I can put my finger on the pulse of what is really selling and what people want, considering the price that they're willing to pay for it, then I can become a good designer. And so I would go to places like Hallmark, cards. Which was one of my biggest. things. I walk up and down the aisles, and I'd see the trends. I'd see the colors that they're buying. I see the sentiments that they're going to, and realizing that that guy is really just writing something for somebody else that don't have the words themselves. Yep. You know. And I said, now if I can do that with art, then I can sell art. Yes. And I can feed my family, and, and in the meantime, build enough money. For me to do the art that I wanted to do when I was 21. Yes, for sure. For sure. Tell us about your family. Well, hey, my family is very creative, like me. Even the offshoots, you know, I have like, I have like six brothers and sisters. They're all creative in different ways. Are you the
0: youngest, the oldest, the middle? When, I'm the were second.
1: I'm the second. And uh, my, my oldest sister passed away at a young age of dementia. But uh, So I'm the, the oldest right now, carrying the torch. Mm -hmm. and so i i mean i have five great grandkids wow which is crazy wow you know and by the way these these kids are having kids before they're even ready to walk as far as i'm concerned yeah right right out of high school and stuff i think that's a trend that it happened when i was going to school but it certainly hasn't been until recently and uh, most of them are in Michigan, my immediate family. Are
0: you? Uh, but you grew up in South Central.
1: Oh, yeah, I'm, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, from here.
0: How did your people end up in Michigan?
1: Well, my wife, uh, we got divorced, and she moved back to Michigan, okay. took the kids with her. Okay. And so they're still there. Uh, right now, she's living in Atlanta. And, of course, uh, my granddaughter's living in Atlanta also. Mm-hmm. The rest of my family, I have uh, two granddaughters. And two grandsons. Mm-hmm. And uh, all of them, but one of them have kids. One of them have two kids. So Yeah. Uh, my youngest grandson, he's into music, just like me. He's a producer. He taught himself to read and write and orchestrate music.
0: Which you did as well. Yeah. Because you have this whole part of your life that's very music-centric.
1: Yes, my son does too. He does art and music as well. He's getting back to art now, but he's just finished two or three albums of his own. My nieces are fashion. By the way, my two oldest sisters, all of my sisters, were fashion designers. Wow! Their kids all in graphic arts or something or that or photography. Mm-hmm. So it's a very creative family.
0: So did, where's this all this creative uh, energy coming from? Your mom, your dad. I mean, your grandparents. Uh, like
1: honestly, I I really don't know because uh, my parents. I didn't get didn't get to know a lot about their dreams. Now that I think about it, now that you're mentioning it, I don't know what their aspirations were or anything. Yeah, all they wanted was for their kids to have a chance.
0: Well, it was a different era too, right? I yeah, mean, we're living in this time where you know this idea of being able to, you know, pursue your dreams and do. I mean, it's it feels very. Yes. Um, you know, they were uh, born new. in the <laughs>
1: South in Arkansas. Yeah, right. my both my parents. My dad really don't even know when he was born. Yeah. There's no documentation or right. anything like that. Right. And so uh, my mother kept getting pregnant. I mean, uh, God bless. I mean, I can't believe the things, you know, before birth control and stuff. Sure. Uh, she must have She told me she had 21 miscarriages. Can you believe that? Usually one or two would kill somebody. And she had seven kids. So all she did was have babies. Right. And so but before she passed away, she told me, You know, I always wanted these things for you guys. Yeah. And I never got to do them. Yeah. When you talk about my artistic ability, I I have a kinship with my dad uh, because I can, like, tech, uh, you know, you pack a storage center, like, look across the room and say, that box will fit there. Yeah, right. Tetris. Yes. Yes. He could take a truck. I'm talking about a half-ton truck. Go up. Stories. It keeps stacking stuff. And move stuff.
0: Oh my gosh. And
1: so I would figure that that was probably the artistic ability that right. he had. Sure. And he was a track star. He could, he used to tell me stories like he could chase or catch a horse running across the field. <laughs> uh, That's fast. Diagonally. Yeah. And, uh, and so he, but he never, but he only had third grade education. Right. He became a minister. Mm Pretty large minister in Los Angeles mm-hmm. taught himself how to read and write mm. while I was struggling trying to learn how to read and write. Yes, because of dyslexia. Yes, you know, so which,
0: which they didn't know much about in those years, oh, right? Oh no, they yeah. just
1: hoarded you. Well, they just put us all in a remedial reading class. Right. They, yeah. Just yeah. You're bro- but th- you th- these know, kids
0: are broken. We'll put them in their own. But you know space. the funny
1: thing about dyslexia, you know, you get all the talk like Einstein and all these people. Yeah. Makes you wonder.
2: I think it's a sign of intelligence,
1: Right, Jerry, you're, you're right on. That's exactly what I was getting ready to say. Mo- a lot of your artists, a lot of your actors and stuff, you'll find I'm, I'm just amazed every day that somebody's admitting at, that they're dyslexic. And it's, and it's a way of looking at everything from a fourth dimension. Yes. Or looking from the back. Right. And I'll find myself, you know, you go into a restaurant and they have a sign on the door that says, push and pull. Yeah. I'm reading the reverse one. Right. I'm always doing the one before the other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is why you put you wanna write the, you might write E E H T. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. But it,
0: it took it, so when were you officially diagnosed? Like how many years was it I before? I never someone... was. Yeah. And, right. You
1: know, I, I, I stumbled onto it because I was doing cost studies mm-hmm. for the product that we were making. Mm-hmm. Uh, at Arden Masters, I'm 35 years old. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm sitting up here noticing, going back and looking over my figures, that I'm reversing numbers. And I saw something on TV that says, this is dyslexic. Yeah, I said, oh. That makes sense. <laughs> now yeah. I can remember sitting between my mother's legs, yeah. reading the Dick and Jane books. And she would tell me a phrase, tell me the word that I would stumble on, then we'd go back and reread, and I wouldn't know the word. She'd get so upset. Right. And I'm sitting up here saying, well, well, words are pictures, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so until you can create the picture from the word or the symbol. Right. And those are the very things that dyslexic people have trouble with. Yeah. You know, but they see things in a, from a different place. And it ends up being a gift. Yes. In the end. A gift that other people use for you. Right. You usually don't get to reap the benefits from that gift. Yeah. yeah,
0: right. You have an incredibly artistic family. Uh, your kids are in music, they're in art. How many of these, what would you, I'm a new dad. Okay, no dad. let's put it this way, right? So I'm a new dad. I am 49. I got two kids under seven, I got a son that's two and a daughter that's six and a half. Help. All right,
1: I'm going to tell you some things and mistakes that I made with my son, and I'm I'm going through a battle with my grandkids right now. When you notice a unique ability, then you make that ability a requisite, a discipline. Mm -hmm. That's what they do instead of going out and playing and stuff. This seems a little harsh, I know, but the trouble is when you do that, you are— developing them for something that they'll pull back on later. But you can be overbearing in doing that, and I wouldn't have liked the Michael Jackson. Yeah. So you don't want to sort of force kids to do anything because they're actually choosing what they want to do. Right. And you can see what they want to do. I remember my kid, uh, and this is something that I ignored at the time, or just thought it was cute. My, I'm sitting up having a rehearsal with guys in a singing group. I'm singing. And playing and trying to get my songs done. And he's just my my wife left us there, and he's rocking with his diaper. And the diaper is almost down to the floor. We're busy doing what we're doing. Yeah. You know? yeah. He's shitting. And he's busy pig, doing what he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> and he's rocking back and forth to yeah. the music. Yeah. I'm noticing none of that. Right. But later on, I'm noticing that. If I had to notice that. Then I could have nurtured him more in the music and stuff that I was doing. A lot of times we assume that our kids are doing what we're doing because they want to emulate us. Mm. You know, because that's what my dad's doing, so I want to be my dad. Yeah. And if it's a son, uh, it's confrontational. Right. It's a competition all the way because he wants to be the man of the house. Yeah. Basically speaking, if you were to leave, he's gonna tell your wife what to do. Yeah. This is true. This is, uh, men and women are not the same. Right. Even though the new thing going on now that I don't know which it is. But the truth is, the guy wants to run the house. And my son was that way too. Mm. Later on, it it just developed to where I could have given him a lot of things that I knew how to give him and didn't. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, you know, it's like I'm seeing a lot of parents you know who are well a living their own lives through their kids. Well, that's not a good right. Thing. I see that. I see parents who are um, incredibly anxious to pack their child's lives with activities. You know, every minute. So, you know, so the the time for free play, the time for just relaxing, well, hanging out, like we you know, know, they're
1: not kids. very Right. Very long. Right.
0: Long. right. You exactly. So, and there's so much pressure. I remember going to this, well, I'm going to go there because it's a long story. But the point is, is that there's all this pressure to make sure your kid is on this track for success. You know, let the kid become the kid, you know, like be who they are. Like I was, I was telling my, my wife, you know, we've talked about this a lot, obviously it's like, you know, I just, am trying to create the space that allows them to become the people they're meant to
3: become.
1: Well, I think it's a medium. I don't know. I don't think you want to let them have all the free space. Yeah. But I do think, well, you know, at, in the beginning, at some point, you give them a lot of choices. And when you take your kid to, like, ballet dancing and this and that, and that, a lot of that is just a search for what they have a knack for. Right. They're going to tell you what they have a knack for. Once you see that knack, right, get rid of all that other baggage. That's right. And make that a prerequisite. Yes. You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. And you got to do that before 13. Right. You know, 13, they know. You Think back when you were 13, you knew where you were going, what you wanted to be and everything. You you at least knew a direction. Yep. You know, and so do your kids. Right. Except that the kids today seem seem smarter because of the digital age, but they're ignorant in a lot of other ways. Yep, for sure, for sure. And they don't get a chance to develop as kids. You want them to develop and have fun and all that stuff. But you just want to be attuned to them. And I think a lot of parents today use all these other things as occupying the kids' time so that I'm not there. Digital pacifiers, iPads, all that stuff. Well, whatever it is they're yeah, doing, if right. you're part of that, yeah, right, then you'll find that you're not going to fill them so packed with a lot of stuff because you're giving them part of what they need. That's right.
0: What they, yeah. That's sage advice because, you know, that's, you know, I'm seeing, you know, the natural abilities emerge from the kids, you know, and I want to fuel that, you know. uh, Oh, yeah. You know, because that's what they're telling me, right? Yes. But um, what gives you hope, Cleophas, in this crazy world?
1: I don't know. I have cause to ponder.
0: (laughs) Well, you you know, your your father was a minister.
1: No, I'm an optimistic person. Yeah. Uh, So, I mean, I always... The glass is always half full to me. Yes. And so, uh, my hope is just that I could live 200 years and do all these creative things in my head on the personal level. As far as my family, gee, God, I just want to get them on track to where they have the opportunity to do the same. Yes. And that's a big feat, you know, believe it or not. Oh, yeah. You for know? sure. Um, but uh, that's my hope. And I have stronger hope for this country. Goodness, I'm a little bit concerned.
0: Yeah. I know a lot of artists who would really hope that their kids would avoid being an artist or not be a, work in the arts. And- well, I want
1: them to choose. I don't yeah. want to, I would never tell when, the art, when people come to me and they ask me to encourage artists and stuff. Gee, I want to be encouraging. But you know, the truth of the matter is, I want them to choose because I think those that choose it will survive it. Mm. If you push them into it, because it's, it's it's it would be like an actor going to get a job and he goes to do interviews and all he's going to hear all day long is you're too fat, you're too ugly, you're too tall, you're too cute, you can't do this. So also, he's yeah. going to hear a lot of more no's than he does yes. Yep. And when it comes to athletics, you can put all that in them, not realizing that they need something to fall back on. Right. Because that just might not happen because percentages say no, you're not going to win the lottery. Yeah. Right. You know.
0: And so you're not going to play in the (laughs) NBA, right. But,
1: uh, I'm optimistic though.
0: Yeah. I think, you know, what's the alternative, right? I mean, you know, we have to be, I try to be, um, you know, I try to be realistic, but I definitely err on the side of, of optimism, you know? Uh, and I think that's changed because I, because, because I became a dad, you know, I want to, I want my kids to be optimistic. And I was probably oh, yeah. more nihilistic before, <laughs> before, <laughs> I was, before I was a dad. Well, well actually, you're
1: going to see them as an extension of yourself fulfill a lot more things than yeah. you would have ever fulfilled. Right.
0: Well, Cleo, this, this uh, podcast is not about me. It is about you. I don't know how we end up talking about me. But uh, well, t- I got to hear this story. So you created, were commissioned for artwork
1: for the Ray Charles record. Oh, uh, yeah. So, that, tell us that story. That was a crazy time. I was working at Artmaster Studios, and my bosses were very indulgent of that because I had to use a lot of my time to do that. Mm. I was just uh, trying to write music. I didn't even know that I could be a producer or anything.
2: Like mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm.
1: This was way before then. And I just had a friend that was doing a recording studio at ABC Records on Washington in Los Angeles, on mm-hmm. Washington Street. And uh, so I went along, you know, hoping to say, gee, I can get somebody to do one of my songs or something like mm-hmm. that. And I'm listening to the guy, and he's singing and re-recording. And so I had taught myself how to play piano in the church by ear. Mm-hmm. And so they were having trouble in, in the studio, and it was at the studio for this other group was in Ray Charles' uh, studio at ABC Records. Anyway, they had a little problem there, and they just – and then my big mouth comes open and I solve their problem for them. The guy says, oh, do you read and write music? I said, oh, yeah, I read and write music. I I do a lot of stuff. He says, yeah. I said, oh, that's interesting. Uh, do you do arrangements? I say, oh, yeah, I can do orchestral arrangements. I don't know shit about what I'm talking <laughs> about. I, You know, because the answer is never no. Yeah. Because every day I left my house, all I wanted to do was Make some money, plant a seed, yep, and get back home, yep. And so, and I'm just planting a seed. And little did I know from that situation, this guy, which was an A and uh, R, therefore some new thing that they were doing there mm-hmm. with these unknown groups, called me up and says, "Well, how much do you charge for your arrangement?" I have no idea what they charge for arrangements. Yeah, right. So I'm sitting there and he says, well, oh, I don't know, uh, $200? He, yeah. said, he says, yeah, of course. He says, says we could even do a couple of your songs. I said, oh, yeah, well, we can do some stuff. So he said, well, when can you come down? Now I'm confronted with the fact that I've told this guy <laughs> ah. that I know how to write strings and horns and I don't know shit about nothing. So it turns out it's more <laughs> fertilizer than seed, but, you know. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so I went into the library and I learned how to – to uh, write strings and stuff, and I go back and I do this one recording of uh, somebody signed to Ray Charles Label, who was a jazz musician. Don't know a lot about jazz or anything, so I took all the stuff I learned and I really learned a lot about strings, and the string instrument or string section is a great thing. Well, obviously, it's like a kid in a candy store. Strings can do so many things to all, I just Killed this guy's album. I mean, I feel that's one of the most regrettable things because I took and did everything that the string could do to every arrangement on his song. Okay. I mean, <laughs> I had it bowing and chucking and <laughs> bowing with the wood, and I mean everything. And it was a jazz can, album, can, you know, what you mean? sing baby. <laughs> <laughs> it's an instrumental jazz album too. It's not like yeah. it was singing or anything. Right, right. And so uh, from that. I I met Ray Charles, and while I was there, uh, he had this uh, album, and he wanted me to do an album cover, and he said, well, I'm working on this thing, Message from the People, and uh, it was a great album, and I said, well, gee, I have this idea that I can do that will fit into that, and I had in the the background areas of this cover, of course, I have Ray Charles in the front with a bunch of kids around him, Mm -hmm. and in the background, hovering in a crowd is a... Uh, uh, something similar to Mount Rushmore, Mm -hmm. which I had, like uh, Washington, Lincoln, Merged in the Clouds. Yes. That was the first thing for that. It wasn't one of my best pieces of art, but uh, it was a precursor to a few things.
0: How old was uh, Ray at that time? And how old Um, were you at that time, for that matter?
1: Oh, I don't even know how old I was. Maybe 35. Yeah, because before I went to Motown, I went to Motown when I was 35. This must have been. A little bit before that, Because how I got to Motown was a friend of mine. I didn't even know who the world. I received a call from Gwen Gordy, which is Barry Gordy's mm-hmm, sister. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I'm at work. And she says, Al, I just heard this tape you did called, a song called Mirror, Mirror. Something which was sort of like Isaac Hayes. Mm-hmm. I was I used to play a lot with instruments. I've always broke the rules. So I would take a guitar and put paper between the strings any old thing just to make something, do something different. Yes. And so she had heard this tape, and so she gave me a call. Well, we'd like to talk to you because I would have never signed, signed to Motown intentionally because I had always, uh, it was a fear of mine that that they abused the black artists. right, And stuff like that with the mob connections and all of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, and so she was breaking away from that, and at the time, Motown was sort of dysfunctional because mm-hmm. you know you had Barry sort of going into the movies then and uh, sort of relinquishing the, the music production and writing to Suzanne DePaz mm-hmm. and then you had the Gwen Gordy which is the other faction and all these people vying for that piece of the pie and I just got caught in the middle and eventually they bought up my contracts so that's how I ended up at Motown
2: mm-hmm. but
1: in the process I wanted to be a a producer, I couldn't get a big budget enough. And so the digital elements were coming in, and MIDI. And I was fascinated by MIDI, and that was the time when Ron and were using their drum machine and
2: stuff. Mm-hmm.
1: But I was discovering that, gee, I could use MIDI, and maybe I could write a string section and only hire three violins
2: mm-hmm.
1: and have them double with the synthesized sound.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so and therefore creating a bigger orchestration for what I couldn't get a budget for to make. And I had to become an independent to do that. But it just didn't work out in the cards because I just didn't have the time. It was just, so I decided to make a choice and go with art masters, always hoping that I would make enough money there to get out of there and go do my own thing in art. Mm -hmm. And of course, like most people, uh, you know, You never know the gravy train's going to end. Right. So you just sort of put it off, and so you buy a new car, and you spend it more than you make. Yeah. And then then with the divorce payments and everything, Mm -hmm. you know, that you never have any money, and then it stops. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so I just got caught into that. So uh, being a designer by nature is sort of like an inventor.
0: I have to ask you, though, because you've, you've called yourself a designer a couple different times. Obviously, you're a I, you I know, think of you as a multidisciplinary artist, but when you think of yourself, are you an artist first, designer first? I mean, when you, you, know, honestly, if you had to pick a label, what would it be?
1: It would be probably a designer. And the reason I'm gonna, I, I want to specify, I've yeah, been thinking a that. lot about that lately. Okay. It's because I think if I were to come up with a phrase that I would put it, I'm creating a new website, I would call it art by design. Yeah. Those words are very specific. The meaning is this. I believe in the utilitarian nature and aspect of the art. I think that's what's been lost. All right. I create a product. When you do art as a product, which I did for 24 years, meaning this. All right. I'm going to make a seascape and the color trend is this. The wallpaper is this. The carpet is this. That is that. So I, by design. create an art piece. All right. Now, after leaving there and going and visualizing what's going on into the fine art world, I said, well, gee, there's an in-between stuff here where maybe I'm not the greatest artist in the world. Because, you know, like uh, uh, Norman Rockwell, when he died, he was front page for a week. Yeah, Picasso died. He was front page for a paragraph for a day. Yeah. So I said, well, gee, there must be something in between that where it can be affordable and actually be real collectible art. So I decided to design that art. Mm -hmm. So I actually take as a challenge, and I always consider myself as an artist of the people, because I want to paint what they want. I'm not trying to tell a story. Mm. I want to tell your story.
2: Mm.
1: I want to do an editorial and let you fill in the gaps.
2: Mm.
1: Just like if I were to write a song, And you adopt the lyrics because of something that you believe in and you feel right, rather than tell my story, right? Because you're always going to have an opinion, and you can't help but to have it come out. I did a portrait of somebody, by the way, for the A and R at ABC Records, uh, which is I do a lot of portraits, which is the downfall of portraits. And if you get close to a person, you actually get to see who they really are, and subconsciously you might not even be aware of this. But what happens is uh, I did this portrait, and um, everybody loved this portrait. I did the portrait from a photograph, but I had met this met this lady prior to that. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, you don't meet the people right. that I do. I'm just doing a photograph, so I'm just attaching whatever to it. But even then, you have some feeling about that person. You know what I'm trying yeah, to say? right? Good and, vibe. And you can't help but to have that come out, and I didn't know that. So I'm just copying the photograph. So stroke for stroke, it's identical. It looks like the person. Everybody loves it. I had met this lady, and she wasn't a very pleasant person. Mm-hmm. And when she saw the portrait, she hated it. Right. And what she hated she really about it. She
0: hated herself, but that's a whole other thing. But well, the point is, yeah.
1: I put something in it that I didn't know I put in it because I couldn't help but to put it in So even though I'm doing art by design, I am putting myself into that. Mm-hmm. It's just a limitation. It reverses a thing like, you know, they say, create outside the box. Right. I create inside the box. Mm -hmm. You give me a red pencil and tell me to make something. Well, I can make something with a red pencil. Mm -hmm. You could tell me you got a million pencils to use. You know what I'm trying to say? Mm -hmm. And I might pick a red pencil. Yeah. The point is, the difference is that I'm making something that somebody wants. Right. And the challenge is, for me to make that. And I can't help but to fulfill myself. At least that's my feeling. And since I've been blessed with the fact that I have the ability to do that. You know, not many artists today can do whatever they want to do. Right. You know? I mean swim. I'm talking about from the skill level. Yeah. And I and since I have that skill and I can do that, I can do that. Now if someone being a designer, we have a product, say for example, uh, Picasso's selling. I mean, we actually have a commercial market for Picasso-type image. Right. Well, I'll go make one. Yeah. It'll look like Picasso made it. Right. Because I'll go study Picasso, everything he did, everything yep. did, and I'll find out what's the essence of that. Yeah. And then what colors is it now? Right. Because people are only going to buy what they, Do you right. know we had one of the biggest phases of colors in the, uh, using the commercial art field of avocado. Right. Avocado-like, man, killed everything because they made refrigerators, avocado, carpet, avocados, everything. 1970s, every new, baby. <laughs> every new apartment came in. If it wasn't gold, to avocado. Yeah. But you know what? Those apartments were there for 20 years after avocado was dead. Right. But you know what? People still had to have something to go with the avocado. Right, 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 right. Well, I really
0: appreciate what you're saying because I got my start as a graphic designer and that word design designer, like there's an intention to that, you know, art for art's sake, right? Somebody once said, you know, pure art has no utility, right? There's no, um, and what we're talking about is, you know, creating art that serves a purpose that meets a need. And there's an intention to that. There's a strategy to that. There's a thought process to that.
1: You're pointing it at some
0: place. Right. Besides, right.
1: I want to say this.
0: That's right. And, you know, and and that is that takes real skill. That takes real intelligence. That takes a a robust toolbox. You know, so this is the world of, of, you know, I, I would better I would love to better understand what it was like to work at this company where, you know, forgive the analogy, but I mean, you're a uh, you're mass producing art. You're 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 a factory, right? Yeah. Of creating artwork, and you've got to be damn talented to be able to perform in that environment and do it for as many years as you did. That
1: I mean. Well, yeah. Well, I I was uh, fortunate to be probably the top designer in that field for most of the years. Like I said, we would, we do a lot of research. I mean, this is the way our design process happens. The owners and stuff would go out. And, of course, you know, you have different areas of the company with different demographics that will buy certain things. The Florida market, certain things because they have tourists and everything. And if it's the Midwest, it's certain things. And trends are trends. They just become things that are trends. They're fleeting, but they're there. Right. You know, and you're making something for the mass multitude of people. Now, the only thing is after you have the demographics and you – you know, so with, with these are the colors of all the fabrics that all the manufacturers are going to be using. You go to these companies like uh, we would go to High Point and Hickory, North Carolina, uh, once a year, and uh, that market is the wholesale market for the world. Internationally, they go there and they buy their products, whether it be sculpture art or whatever it is, for the uh, uh, consumer market. Yeah. Now, however I must interject though, now looking back, I see my images on TV screens in the back of motion picture, uh, <laughs> everything. Right. And it's just commercial art. Yeah. That people don't really know that this field really exists. Right. Right. Well you it, know? It, yeah. And that's it, yeah. you know, you have a person at one time we had like fifty artists. And you can imagine big rows of easels. Yeah. Hundred feet. The same thing, up and down. Well, I came up with this thing about, of course, I used, I, my added thing was I added silkscreen, and I added airbrush and all these things. And you, if you look at something like Photoshop or something like that, where you work in layers, mm-hmm. think of art in layers. It's sure. always been in layers. Yeah, right. You know, the phenomenal thing, like when I was a kid, I used to go to the museum and look at the art. And I'd see all the detail, and I'd say, Gee, how the hell did he do that? Every time I put yellow on top of green, it turns brown, right? But it's not done that way. If you think of it in layers, it becomes very simplistic. And what we would do is we would make this one master piece. And I always say, well, gee, you don't want to waste any motion, whether it's moving or anything else. And the mind can remember certain things, but in detail, and it can be very accurate and repetitive. So... I would say, like, I've got 100 feet of something. And in between that, I might have 50 of the same subject. And maybe they're on a table or whatever. And I would look at this original, and I'd look, and I'd try to remember two things. Oh, there's a dot about that much from the center of the pupil. And there's a slash right there on the other thing. I do one. I go all the way down, just one, one, done, done, done. It's automatic. Right. Do the other coming back, then pick up two more things. Right. Da, 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 da. It goes so fast, it's unbelievable. Yeah. You paint hundreds of paintings in a week. Wow. And they're all hand done because it can't be all accurate. Right. Right. Like machine done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. There's gotta but be that a, hand, that human but in touch. Effect, yeah. Yeah. And so looking back, I mean, my son called me up the other day, says, Dad. You know, a lot of your things from Artmaster I've seen on eBay. I mean, there must be a million likes. Not likes, I mean a million hits. Yeah, yeah. And I'm saying, oh, you're crazy. So I go look at them, and I'm seeing these things, and they were called the Letterman. I used surnames when I was doing these things because I had my own art career. Right. And I didn't want it to interfere.
0: So wait, so your, your uh, alias was Letterman?
1: Oh, yeah, and a few others, too. And Collins, I've, I've seen Letterman. All over the place. They're all over the world,
0: man. Oh, my God. You're Letterman. That's right. Holy shit. I think my mom had a Letterman in her. That's house. right. <laughs> I mean, wow, so. Well, breaking news, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> Not Real Art Podcast has Letterman on our show today. This is incredible. Yeah.
1: I, I also, I say, well, gee, I should know create a creative site With all these Letterman so that they can create their own database because what what I was finding from the eBay searches,
3: mm-hmm.
1: they were trying to see if these things had a value. Right, right. Because you think about it, 50 years or so, or 30 years, and they're in somebody's garage. Yeah. They're quality pieces of art. They really are because with the silk screen, I was being able to maintain good drawing and skill and mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. So using the paint-by-number thing, sort of like the Ken Cage studio thing did later. He didn't start that, by the way. (laughs) You did. (laughs) Right. Uh, By the way, all the products that you see them selling today, all the acrylic products, modeling paste, all those things. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, we were on the forefront of all of that stuff. So we would create these products to make them look like they were really time-consuming yeah and how all that that whole by the way when i went to when I went into this field, they used to do these drip paintings. they were Spanish galleons. You wouldn't know anything about this and uh and you would do this sort of like you decorate a cake with a bottle, mm-hmm. but you become very skillful with it, so you're drawing with a bottle
2: mm-hmm. of glue,
1: mhm- right, and then you would do glue over these drawings and then you'd do a little dry brush and gold leaf here and there, and they were cheap way of making art. And they put them into these thrifties and all those kind of stores. Mm-hmm. Then it graduated to things like JCPenney's, Montgomery Ward, right. and all of those places. And we made it, Art Master just made it more sophisticated. What I brought to the table was, gee, I could actually go do a Mona Lisa right, at a cost. right. And so getting back to these Letterman things, I created all these fictitious names. And we had, we we developed a department where the customers would write in and say, what is Letterman making today? Where is he at? Where is he? There? And we'd create these stories and everything to sell that element so that people would feel that they were buying something authentic. And they would call up like, gee, I love this painting. I put it in my bedroom and this real, you know, yeah. whatever the subject is. Sure, And so- it ended up being a selling point because people needed this illusion to buy this art. How many aliases did you did you have? What what what? Were oh, I must have is? had about thirty or forty of them. I, I was thinking lately that I might create a site just about the letterman. I wasn't the only designer, as it turned sure. out. Yeah. But initially, when I went to that company, gee, we had like six employees. One was a framer. One was an accountant. So you were on the ground floor. Business. You were on the ground floor really with six employees. Oh yeah. And when I went there I didn't even want to go there. I, by the way, I had just left Rachel's studio and I went there because they actually con. my dad's name is the same as mine, Albert Willis. So they actually contacted my dad and my family and everything was trying to get me to get a job. Right, get a real job. Yeah. <laughs> and so you know, I'd never planned to have kids. They just saw it happened. My wife was on birth control pill and everything, and she got and pregnant surprise. anyway. And so I'm saying, damn, right when I quit my job, we got a baby. So, you know, you got to go do your thing there. And so I was just leaving every day to go make some money. And so they called my dad and, and says, gee, are you Albert Willis? He says, yeah, I am. So, 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 so no, no, that's my son. Right. And they called me, and they happened to be right around the corner from me. I mean, two blocks. Serendipitous. And and so I went over and I talked to them, and I didn't even want to work for them no damn way. I just did it to please my wife because she was yelling in my ear, you know, we need some money. We need-. So I went, and I talked to them, and I had worked for a company before called Bertini Studios, which was the predecessor for our other competitor, Vanguard Studios, which is a very big name. Mm-hmm. We were always competitors all the way through, and so I talked to them, and they said, "Well, gee." I said, "Well, gee." I said, "I got this idea that I can maybe, instead of doing designs for you, they wanted me to make product for them." Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to be in the music field. I don't want to make no right product. I said, but I say temporarily, I can do this. Please, my parents. Please, my wife. Make a little money Mm -hmm. and do my music. (laughs) Yeah, right. Right, (laughs) and my art. It's a side hustle for your real gig. Yeah, and so it just turned into this big thing. I said, "Well, look, I'll tell you what. I'll show you how you can do it yourself. That way, you own your product." Right. Well, that's a decisive decision because that company became huge. And if I had decided to make it myself, that would have been me. Yeah. So that's a decision that we all make. You know, I don't regret. The decision, but uh, it was sort of in hindsight, sort of foolish. Hindsight's
2: 2020.
1: So I gave them the tools, and I did have this idea about just sort of new at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I showed them how to do it. We, I remember we started with silk screen. And can you imagine, first of all, we silk screen we're only using the colors of black? Because we just do a drawing, put a few washers here and there few texture things here and there. And that was enough, and we were doing them on Masonite. Hmm. Then we decided, well, you know, we can do this on canvas, you know, and make it simulate mm-hmm. real art, mm-hmm. you know, because that, that thing about canvas, if it's on canvas, it's You're worth real, more. Yeah,
3: right, right.
1: Sure. <laughs> you know, yeah. and so we did that, and then we gradually decided, instead of making little small pieces, we decided to go to thirty forty before forty eight then eventually forty eight by sixty, which became a hallmark of uh, all the production art company. we weren't the only one, but we were the only one using my kind of product with the silk screen and stuff It allowed us to the artists our copy artists, which were very skillful to do very realistic type thing. the animal stuff there rivals any animal art you're going to see anywhere, Mm-hmm. you know, period. Mm-hmm. And uh, because we could do all the hair, we created brushes to where you could extend the hair. Mm. They're all illusions, you know, painting. Yeah. It's an illusion. People don't realize it. They look at it and they see every little tiny stroke, but realizing a sponge.
3: Right, right.
1: Things like that. will do all of that in a flash, you know. Yeah. And so we teach our artists these skills. But what they had to, what I had to do was not only create the original, but map out how to do it. And in the process, we ended up pre-mixing colors so that the artists didn't have to do that. Mm-hmm. Then what does that do? Think about it. Got a 1,000 pre-mixed colors. What do you got to do? Now you got a paint department. Yeah. You got to make paint. Right. right. Then you got to store that paint yeah. somewhere they can find it. Right right supply chain stuff no this uh. company existed for years without the computer what has it? Right. now we <laughs> got to put it on computer
0: let's let's, <laughs> let's let's stop here for a minute and ponder that right because we're living in such a digital age it is hard to imagine right this world where like you are doing are in the but this is what we're talking about this is the the kind of um pedigree that you know a true artist uh you know arguably has. you have these skills you can do the stuff by hand and you're doing this, you, you, you know, you're using your brain, not the computer. You're
1: using your brain. Yes. Yeah. But it's a growing process. But still, again, I, I mean, I, I tell you today, I guess with the advantage of me going through all of this, I see so much potential with the computer. I just wish kids yeah. Yeah. had the background that I have. You're right. And like I told you, when I went to art school, I learned that they made me go to class. I hated this class called Materials and Methods. You go in there and you play with plaster, mm-hmm. just junk. And I'm saying this isn't. I didn't come to school for this. I came to be like Norman Rockwell. I wanna, you know, <laughs> I wanna draw the nudes. Where are the nudes at? It's you know? <laughs> my of, favorite class. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, but that class, that class, coupled with you know, I work with my dad. My dad was a handyman. He mm-hmm. did everything. Mm-hmm. So he would. We do a, He'd do a painting job and he would bring home the cans of paint mm-hmm. and say he'd bring home, you know, the little leftover stuff that's in the bottom of the cans yep, of paint. Yep. So that was my paint. So if there was only yellow and greenish green and whatever, right. that was what I painted with. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? And right. I painted on whatever that I had to paint on. Yeah. Plywood, whatever. Yeah, you know? yeah. And so that was the beginning of my career, and well, I that's did. That's because being an artist
0: isn't a job. It's a calling. You know, right? Yes, it is. Yeah,
1: It's a suffering that goes with that. I'm not, you know, I used to say, I'm a, I am believe in the starving artist, quote, now. But uh, all my life, that's not been my experience, because I haven't been in the fine art world. I've just been in the commercial art world, making a living doing art. Right. You know? Right. Uh, so how long were you with that company? In, in- I was with Artmaster for 24 years. And where are they now? They're gone. They're long gone. Yeah, so a matter of fact, uh, in 93, when they, they sort of went off the market, the original owners of that company, the Oleskis, uh, who hired me and I worked for, mm-hmm. who was a brilliant salesperson mm-hmm. that helped that company become great. He sold the company at a good time. He did it in 93. In '93, the new owners came in with a corporate structure and tried to structure it mm-hmm. that way. But it was more people-oriented business, and so uh, they sort of forced me out. Yeah, uh, even though I resigned. But right. the point is, they wanted to own everything that I created. Yeah, you know, basically as an inventor, nobody knows when you. When you make that thing happen. It might happen at three o'clock at night. Right. You just you're I'd be driving problems. on the yeah. freeway and I say, Oh. Yeah. So how it works is like that. Right. It's it's never turned off. And so they claim that, gee, well, if you worked for me, any idea you had, yeah. I pretty much own.
3: That's right. That's right. So I have to leave. Right.
1: So,
0: see, I want to take a step back a little bit because I want, you know, so, so many of our listeners, you know, are probably too young to appreciate what we're talking about in a certain way. Because, like, I grew up, you know, in the 70s and the 80s, we went to the mall. There was a mall, there's a department store. You know, we shopped at JCPenney's, we shopped at Sears, we shopped at Carson Perry Scott, we shopped at, you know, Kmart and, you know, these department stores. And they all had art, home decor and art departments, yeah. art sections. And you would go, and you would see these paintings and you would see, and, and for our listeners' sake, like this com- the company that you were for, American Masters, they are the ones making this art. Oh, exactly. You are the one. Letterman was the artist's name on the piece that you would see at exactly. Sears that your mom would buy and bring and hang on exactly. your
1: family room wall. Exactly. And remember, that's, this is happening internationally. You know, right. America isn't the only market. That's right. That's right. It's <laughs> yeah. a global phenomenon. Everybody's trying to be America-like. Yeah. Even in China. Right, right. I right. had an opportunity to go uh, design in China. I just chose, I didn't want to move and live there. Uh, they have probably greatest artists printing techniques in the world. They invented printing. Yeah, right. And But what they didn't have was the concept of design. Yeah. For the American market, right, which they were trying to emulate, right. Well,
0: what's happening with the space now? Because, I mean, obviously Amazon has has killed the department store, has killed the mall. You know, these companies like. They, well, there's
1: still some art. Yeah, uh, this art is still there. It's just that a lot of it, if it is isn't imported, is inferior, mediocre art. Mm-hmm. Because how can you pay these people? Yeah. Even when I was going, like, uh, I mean. an hour was pretty good money. Yeah, right. You know, right now that's starving wages. Yeah, right. So now you think of it in terms of time, uh, these pieces that you're going to look at, uh, the Letterman pieces probably took about 45 minutes to an hour a piece in total time. You know? Right, right. What would that cost today? Yeah. Now you go to the store, these pieces are still selling for about the same price retail that they were 20, 30 years ago. Mm. So what can you get for that? Mm. Almost nothing. Mm. So, but they what they failed to do, and I think we were a little little bit behind, our technology wasn't fast enough, what was affordable for us, is to go into the printed world, Mm -hmm. sort of like the G-Clay. Yeah. To where, because I, now thinking back, instead of me using the silk screen, and I was all the way up to some pieces, 12 screens. Yeah, right. You know, right now, gee, I could kick that in the ass if I were doing that right. starting today. Yeah. Just by doing an inkjet print. Right. And having the artist work on top of that, sort of like King K. Right. All you're doing is you're adding some colors to something. Yeah. So you just do it in preparation for what you're going to add. Right. In other words, instead of making something as blue as it's going to be. Right. That the artist adds, yeah yeah, 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 yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. The technology uh, that's available now versus what you—I mean, again, everything was handcrafted in so many ways and invented on site, or you know, as you were creating these sort of supply chains or or or, or you know, uh, mass market or mass produce kinds of uh, workflows. But the technology now—I mean, this print-on-demand stuff. I mean, I don't even know if you're aware of this, but like so many of these websites now that are selling art. They're just printing on demand.
1: Well, that's why I'm moving. So now, what I'm doing now is you notice on my site, uh, uh, which is pretty much you know I did I designed that whole site in uh, 2008. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's an impressive site, and it's probably way too big and too much stuff for a person to really get anything. So I use it primarily as a portfolio or a starting block. Yeah, to let people come and see some stuff. And since it's not costing me anything, right? I leave it there in place. But the, but this print on demand has made it so that everybody can do it. Anybody can do it, right? And everything is art, so it almost makes art nothing. That's right. You know. So now we're it's so the ultimate flooded. Yeah, man. we're so flooded with this stuff. Yeah, that you could take a picture on your uh, on your phone. Yep. Yeah. Put it into Photoshop, use one of their filters, digitally add some brush strokes to it, and, da, 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 yep. da, 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 and then automatically you're an artist. Right. And you, even though you can create some nice pieces, some of them, uh, but you're an amateur. Yeah. You know. But right. basically, you can do a limited edition piece. So what I've come up with a way of doing original copies, so to speak. To where I create a piece, and which is why, I mean, I, I love the technical skills of the old stuff, which I told, told you is dying. And, and I just found a way of keeping it alive a little longer by making it three-dimensional, because I think that's the element that we're getting into. Right. Because the future art is going to be pretty much like you buy a video or anything. You're going to say, with a hologram, I decide I want a sculpture of David.
3: Right. And there
0: it is.
1: And there it is. Yeah. And then I'm not in the mood for that tonight. I got a girl coming over, so I want to, <laughs> ah, you know. Yeah. You know, and let's, that's let's where freshen the freshen art the is up. going. Right, yes. right. So you're going to own those pieces, and they're going to look and feel real. And you know what else they're going to do? Mm. They're going to smell. Right. Could you imagine going to a movie theater today when you go into the foul bathroom, and the guy is beating the guy, and he's sticking his head in the toilet, but you smell the latrine?
3: Yeah, that, that,
0: it's going to be there. Yeah. This is going to happen. Yeah, yeah. This is not far removed. My bathroom already smells bad enough. I'm, you know, really.
1: <laughs> well, it's not <laughs> <Yeah>. only that; <laughs> right. it's a good aromas and stuff too. you yeah to yeah, 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 yeah. but but the sense of smell is a strong sensual thing. It's just, it's just as strong as visual. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that element is easy,
0: right? And the bigger point being that 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 technology is truly. Opening up these opportunities uh, in a way that uh, is exciting for artists. If you're a creator, we oh, have yeah. all these different. Again, as I was saying, like we have more tools, more mediums, more technologies than ever. But
1: remember, the cream always rises to the top. That's right. I don't care how many people can create their own photography and that's their right. own thing. The true yeah. artist, well, is yes, going to go a step but further. But you,
0: you, you're hitting on you're hitting on a, a powerful point here because the cream rises to the top. That's true, and you know. You know, over the years, right? That sort of always meant that the the cream was the best. The cream was yes. the, right. And what's happening now, though, in our social media age, is that that cream is is actually being defined now more by social media metrics than the actual maybe quality of the work. So an artist might be judged as as talented or successful because they have a hundred thousand followers on Instagram, not well, exactly. uh, necessarily because they're a, a proficient technician and have a sense of art history and are creating something new uh, in terms of the uh, the conversation, right? I have a story that I loathe to tell, but um, I tell it because it, it's, it it illustrates this. So several years ago, we had a, a booth at a, a trade show called Surtex. Now, Surtex, mm-hmm. you might know, It's an art licensing show. So this is where the brands and the manufacturers come to meet the artists and the designers who are creating the art and the key art that they'll license for product or what have you. And so we had uh, this booth. Uh, It was a 1,000-square-foot booth. We had a bunch of artists on display. And this art buyer from, uh, I guess she was with, I think she was with Macy's, actually. She Mm -hmm. comes in, and she sees this artist that we have and she has this visceral reaction. She says, "Oh my gosh, that artist—they're amazing. I love this. They're, they're, this is perfect for us. I, you know, I'm so glad, you know, to see this. I'm like, wonderful. You know, that's great. I'm so glad that you think they're appropriate for Macy's." And she said, "Please tell me how many Instagram followers do they have?" <laughs> yes, <laughs> right? right. And when I told her thirty-two thousand or whatever it was, well, there were were. <sighs> You know, tribal, she became
1: disinterested. Yeah, tribal following.
0: Yeah, well, and 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 uh, and lazy thinking. Yeah. Because here she was; she'd been with an art buyer, supposedly a professional art buyer for Macy's for years. She had this gut, visceral reaction. Uh and She knew that it was right, but she began to doubt her own expertise because we're living in this era, era, era now, where social media metrics well, you become
1: can't, a a you hallmark can't, for. It, you can't ignore it only for the simple fact that if you have so many followers, that is a platform that's listening. Possibly.
0: Possibly. That's right. She doesn't even understand about click farms and everything else. Yeah. You can buy this, and, you know, pump this stuff up. But the point is, is that you know, I, I had to explain to her, you know, listen, first of all, yeah, there's only one Banksy. There's only one Shepard Fairey. If you want to, you know, go and talk to those guys, good luck. the The point is, is that, artists are here to make the art you're the marketer yeah you know and what they really want they want they want to take the risk or mitigate the risk out of their business proposition of of betting on that artist so they're using that social media metric as a way of gauging risk right yes right and so um, that's why you
1: make a remake of an old movie that's been a hit
0: (laughs) that's right that's right and i just had explained i was like look you know the artist is here to make the art you're the marketer you know, you just had a visceral reaction to say that this is this art was great for your brand, great for your customer. You know that intuitively. Anyway, this is the times we're living in. It's crazy.
1: Yeah, it is. It is. It is. I don't know. I think I'm unsuccessful because I haven't spent enough time dealing with my brand, realizing that I've always thought that the art would sell itself. I mean, you could actually just go make a piece and have somebody look at it. But realizing that that's just my naive impression, I think. I think what people are really wanting to buy when it comes to art, they're wanting to buy a piece of the artist. Right. So when they buy that Picasso or whatever, it's almost like for a moment I got to share a piece of him mm. and his thoughts. And so the branding becomes that mm. in today's age. Mm. Yeah, so... Taylor Swift is making this song, and she's got this big thing there. So if I got this too, then I can be a part of her world. That's right. That's right. As an escapism, maybe. Yeah, and
0: in that connection, it's like I'm connected to this. Yes. This and that the connection is
1: what they're buying. Yeah. More than they are, how great the art is. Right. Right. Because I've said I've watched people look at my art and they'll say, "Gee, that is a, a great piece." It's a great piece and buy nothing.
0: What's that about? What do you think? What do you think that's about?
1: Well, one of the things is affordability, probably because I can't afford to give it away. And secondly, is it just that you get a, a, a used to something that's sort of watered down? I mean, McDonald's is the best fry, but is it? Right. Is it just that you acquired a taste for it? Yeah, right. And it's popular. Right. So everybody else says, In and out is the best hamburger, so you got to have an In and Out burger because everybody else did. Yeah, right. Like I belong. Mm. Can you imagine being a kid? When you grow up, that's all you want to be. But basically, we're all just old kids.
0: (laughs) I try to be. I try to be an old kid. I know I'm old. I don't know about the kid part, but I try to be. Cleophus, it's, it's been such an honor and a, thank you and a it's privilege been an honor to sit for down. Me too. And uh, what a gift! The fact that I, you know, I knew you were awesome just by reading your bio. Well, you making but me The fact read- that you're Letterman, <laughs> I had one of your pieces in my house. I know it. I can see the signature in my mind's eye, oh, yeah. and, and I hadn't you thought know? about that in decades. And the
1: funny thing about that signature, the reason why I chose that name is because I could do that stick, mm-hmm. yeah, thing yeah. there very quickly. And <laughs> when I was signing my name. And so I, I sort of did that with the Albert and the Willis. And then now later the Cleovers, which is my middle name, which I'm trying to brand, by yes, the way. Yes. And I and I says, well, gee, this will just fit right there. I just do, 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 do. then I used to sign each one. Then after a while, I put the signature into the silk screen so that my artist didn't have to sign it. Yeah. Because you realize that to sign it takes time. That's right.
0: That's right. We got to minimize the time. That's it. Oh my God, this is so great. This is so great. Well, listen, a couple things. One is tell our listeners how they can find you online. How can people get in contact with you?
1: All right, right now I'm a little limited because I'm developing myself fun right? Right now I'm officially a starving artist. I really am. And I'm trying to break into this fine art world and I got a lot of great art. But right now you can view my pieces on Al Art, meaning one word, A-L-A-R-T design at Hotmail. I mean, LRdesign.com. <laughs> all right. You can contact me personally uh, on um, LRdesign at hotmail.com and willisworld on gmail.com.
0: That's great. Now, I'm going to have all that stuff on our website when we post this. So people would be able to, you know, read your website URL and you get your email and all that good stuff.
1: Let me iterate on these. The newer stuff, though. I'm uh, posting and developing my Instagram, which is Cleophus1, C L E O P H U S O N E. So so
0: you're on IG right now? Yes. Okay,
1: great. And you can see some of the new dimensional pieces. I will be putting videos on there. By the way, I'm going to try to do something which is sort of similar to a blog. I haven't seen anybody do it. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to try to put different things on and show work and progress, which is going to be the bigger thing I'm going to be doing showing pieces as i make them and when you oh, see cool. these sculptural things you're going to see me you can actually see them develop before your eyes
0: cleophis i'm on instagram right now tell me your ig uh, handle again because i'm going gonna...
1: to one i have some exciting new things that i'm working on right now i'm working on two what i call legacy sculptures of for aretha franklin i think she's a hot item and i think it fits right into the scope of what's going on mm-hmm. in the world around us. Yeah. And I'm trying to create a product more for the sensitive market. You know, the women really decorate the home and they really spend the time. From my experience, most guys are just happy with a jersey on the wall or something <laughs> like that, or True. a Playboy calendar or something. Yeah, And so even though the, a lot of them do decorate their home, but the women really buy the stuff. So I wanted to create product. That are more sensitive to their need, yep. but also have some merit of thought behind them. Yes, you know, yes, that fit into our complex cultural thing that's going on. Right
0: that's right. That's right. Yeah, these are sensitive times for sure. Cleofus, will you promise me to come back and do this again? I will. I will do that. I, I would be honored. And uh, so, what's coming up? Like, do you have any shows coming up? Like,
1: no, you know? I no, I don't. Okay. I, I hope to finish up a few pieces. Uh, I might even venture into the area, which I'm a little unfamiliar with, but to fund me. I have uh, uh, some things that I'd like to do. I don't know if anybody has heard of the Art Prize, which is a big show that comes up uh, out of Michigan. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to finish up a few pieces for that. And it's a unique way of exhibiting, and it's gradually uh, building momentum. They used to do it every year. Now they're doing it, I think, every couple of years now. And it has a huge international market. Yeah. And the art there is being done spectacularly. But what it does is it is, is sort of have, you send a piece there and it's sponsored by some way. So that the whole city is a gallery. Right. So you actually find a, a place to send your art. Mm-hmm. They sponsor your art while it's there. And it's a, it's a competitive exhibition where you can win money. Right, right. Large money prizes. Yeah, and uh but I'd like to finish these pieces. Now I've got about twelve pieces, uh these large sculpture things like the Tupac and the Biggie in that area. Yeah. And uh they're, they're quite time consuming. Some of them take as many as three or four months to make. Right. Up to six months. And a lot of these things are almost made, but I'm at a money funding period in time right now. Yeah. So I'm trying to sell out a lot of my inventory of my limited edition prints, mm-hmm. even reducing them down to 50% the cost,
2: mm-hmm.
1: whatever, just to clear out my inventory. Because I don't no longer want to do that. I want to just keep originals. Right, right. So it's a great deal for a lot of people and certainly getting ready for the holidays. And i like for once to be on target for the first year for Black History Month To be able to exhibit someplace a lot of these pieces right right great
0: that's great well so i'm open for suggestions yeah amen brother Uh, cleophas it's been an honor thank you thank you so much we'll uh, be uh, continuing to explore this adventure together i look forward to having you back all right thank you very much thank you sir hey there thanks for tuning in please be sure to like this episode and share it with your friends on social and if you haven't already done so, please be sure to press subscribe and follow us on IG at NotRealArtificial. We appreciate the support. Sourdough out.